Well, good morning. It's always good to be with you. Uh, Lauren and I and the girls uh, got to spend last week in Portland with my family celebrating Christmas. And uh, when we were together at church uh, last week, uh, it was good to be there. It was good to be there as a family. Uh, but we also miss being here uh, to celebrate uh, the goodness of this time of the year and how it strengthens our faith and our hope, our sense of peace and joy and all of the, the gifts that come to us in the gift of Christ. And so uh, we were glad to be there, but we miss being here and we're glad to be home again. Uh, for this month, we have been focusing on this, this series that we're calling Anthems. And as Josh mentioned in the welcome, you know, an anthem is a song that you sing with all of who you are. It's not a song you barely sing. It's, it's not a song that uh, you barely know. It's a song that resonates with the deep hopes and dreams that you have for yourself and for the world. And when Luke starts his gospel, he starts at the beginning of Jesus' life. He actually starts before Jesus' life. And he, he wants us to understand that the, the key response he expects us to have at the very beginning is a posture of worship. I mean, everybody's singing at the beginning of Luke. And they're not just singing when you expect them to sing. They're not just singing in worship gatherings. They are worshiping in the midst of their everyday lives because what's about to happen can only be responded to by falling down in worship. And so we've been looking at the various songs that Luke tells us were being sung at the time of Jesus' birth as people were beginning to understand just what God was, was getting ready to do. And so a few weeks ago, right, we listened to Mary's song, a song where she, she speaks in the past tense about things God has yet to do. That's how confident she is in how much her son, God's son, is going to change the world from top to bottom. And then Zacharias starts to sing. He's about to have this sense in his own life of not only New life in, in the birth of his son John, but he understands that John is a part of a bigger story, that it's not actually a story about his son, but his son gets to play a role. He gets to help people be prepared to encounter this chosen one, Jesus, who God is going to work through. And we, we talked about this idea that, that we want to be people who join in that calling that John has, that, that the Christmas story is not really about us, but we have a place in it because we want people to encounter Jesus even when it's difficult for them to be ready for that encounter. And then last week, we, we listened to various voices, but we also listened to the songs of angels, right, that, that they declare to these shepherds out in the field, people that that, you know, they didn't even have a place, a roof over their head, but they're, they're the people God chooses to send the angels to with this birth announcement to sing this truth that the reason Jesus is coming into our world is, is because God chooses to look upon all of humanity with favor and goodness and grace. That there's not one of us who deserves that gift, and yet God showers us with his presence through Jesus anyway. And today, we're going to finally listen to the song of Simeon, an old prophet who has waited his whole life for this moment. And it's a moment that actually comes after Jesus' birth, and yet 
it helps us understand how we too need to encounter the reality of Jesus being born, not just in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, but born into our lives. Would you pray with me? God, we ask you over the next few minutes that, that you would speak directly to us through your Holy Spirit. That like Simeon, we would understand that our response to your arrival is worship. That it's not about analyzing anything or explaining anything or defining anything. Not at, not at first. It's about worship. And I pray that you would help us open our hearts to you in ways that are beyond logic and reason, that are really beyond words, God, that we would have a sense of your presence that we can't describe, but that we also can't deny. Speak to us, God, and change us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we, we've all done this, right? We, we've all waited for someone to show up and they don't show up, right? The, the time comes for, for them to arrive, and then it goes, and there's no sign of them. And we start to wonder what's going on. And, and this happens even in our world with the technology we have. I know that often when somebody misses a, a, an appointment with you, they're probably already texting you or trying to call you to tell you what happens. But, but even in our world today, we have times where someone's not there and you text them or you call them and you get nothing in response. And so you start to worry. And at first, it's a worry that kind of causes just irritation. You think, you know, I'm busy. I got a lot going on here. We said we were going to meet together. You said you were going to show up at this place at this time. It, it's now past that time, and I've got other things I could be doing. Right? And you start to think, do they, do they not care about my time? Do they, do they not care about what else I could be doing? And then if, if minutes continue to tick by, you, you move from irritation to some level of concern. Right? You start to think, well, maybe you know, that's not like them. Maybe they, they got caught in, in something that they didn't expect. Maybe they got thrown a curveball in their schedule. Maybe they got stuck in a, a doctor's appointment. Maybe you know, all those questions start to, to bang around your mind as you wait for somebody who's late. And then if it gets much longer than that and you've tried to call them or text them and reach out to them and you're not hearing from them, if it gets past an hour, you move from concern to outright fear that something bad has happened to them, Some, something accidental, something that they weren't ready for, something that might be harmful to them. Right? We know what it's like to wait for someone, and then they don't come, and so then we start to worry, we start to be afraid. But sometimes we wait for people, and it's not because we, we don't know what's, what's keeping them from us, it's that we know all too much what's keeping them from us. I... I I can't get to the, the place where I fully understand, because I've never experienced it firsthand, what it's like to have someone in your family go off to war, right? That, that they're not, they're leaving you, you know why they're leaving you, you know why you're waiting on them, and you know that war means a lot of different things, but it always means risk, right? And so if you had someone in your family have to leave and go to some military a combat zone, some, some front of some, some war that we're fighting somewhere in the world, you're waiting for them every single moment they're gone, knowing that they're putting their life at risk. And, and I can only imagine the kind of pressure that puts on a family. 
while they wait. And, and I've never seen this firsthand. I have been on airplanes uh, with soldiers who are coming home. I've even sat next to a soldier who's coming home, and I've talked, talked with him about what it was going to be like to see his family for the first time in two years. Right? But I've never been there right there in the moment. I've seen videos of it. I'm sure you have too. When people get to come home and see their family for the first time in a long time from a place where they were putting their life at risk. And there are few things in this world more beautiful than those kinds of reconciliations. Right? But, but it's not just waiting when we don't know or waiting when we do know what's keeping someone from us. It's also times in our life when we're waiting with a kind of electric excitement. I would have to say the two times in my life when I've really experienced that kind of waiting is when Lauren and I were getting closer and closer to the due dates of, of our two girls, Riley and Reese. Right? And, and I, both of them happened to come kind of late at night into those early morning hours where you're not usually awake, but you're awake then. Right? When Lauren turns to me and says, it's time, we got to go. You can imagine how fun I am to be around in that kind of tense situation. I threw our bags in the van and drove, you know, as safely but as fast as I could to the hospital, asking her probably every, I thought it was every 30 seconds, it's probably every five seconds, are you doing okay, are you doing okay, are you doing, I'm sure that helps you feel at peace while you're trying to deal with, with contractions. Uh, and, and Reese came so fast, uh, she didn't even get to, to have anything to help with the pain and and I remember all of that going on, but I'm, all, I'm watching that from the outside, right? I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing it, but not the way Lauren's experiencing it. And so we have our own journeys of waiting in that moment. And I, I remember in both cases wondering what their voices, their little voices were going to sound like the first time they cried out. What it was going to feel like to hold them for that very first time. What it was going to feel like when they finally were able to open their little eyes up and our eyes would meet for the first time. Right? We all know what it's like in one way or another to wait for someone who's special to show up. And waiting for someone special to show up who hasn't yet shown up, that's always a real challenge, right? It's always difficult. It's even more difficult if you're waiting for someone to show up and you don't have any clear idea about how long you're going to have to wait. It's just open-ended. Now that kind of waiting for someone special to show up that we all have experienced in one way or another, in the first century, that was the daily existence of, of an Israelite. They were waiting for someone to show up. Most of them had been waiting for as long as they could remember. All of them at this point had been waiting for longer than their own lifetimes, which means it felt like they had been waiting since the beginning of time for this special person to show up. They had a name for this person, right? That They, they had lots of titles for, for this, this special servant of God, but their favorite name was the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one of God, who was going to step into their broken world and fix everything that had gone wrong. He was going to restore Israel to, to the days of, of, of glory and power and place them in the, in the role, in the story of the world that they had longed to fulfill, right? That role was that they were going to work together to bless everyone on the face of the earth. They were living every single day waiting for that day. Year after year after year. I mean, we're at the point now where they've been waiting 
for centuries, and they don't know how long they're going to have to wait. And that kind of waiting, it's never easy. Right? It's, it's never something that you can fully get your head wrapped around because you, you want to understand it better. You want to be able to predict the moment. And every time you try, you fail. And every day that they would wake up and it wouldn't be that day, it made it a little harder for them to, to wait. It made it a little harder for them to hold on to their hope. And, and you have to imagine the kinds of conversations they had around their dinner tables and, and, and worship gatherings where they kept trying to keep the faith, to, to encourage one another, to say, I know it's been a long time. I, I know it's been what it feels like forever, but God says that there is this day coming and you've got to hold on to that hope. And, and here's the reality. Some of them were able to hold on to that hope, but many of them, and my, my guess is in the privacy of their own hearts, right? They may have never said it to anyone else. They gave up. They gave up waiting for the Messiah to show up, at least in their own lifetimes. It's, it, I think if you'd said to them, do you believe that one day that God is going to, to make his presence known in the life and the ministry of this, this special servant and the Messiah, do you believe that that's going to happen? They would say, absolutely. But if you press them to say, do you think you're going to live to see it? They might not have an answer for you. At least not an answer that they would want to speak out loud. Somewhere along the way, I have to believe most of them gave up hope that they were ever going to see it with their own eyes. But not old Simeon. Simeon was surrounded by people who he knew were giving up hope every single day for that great day. But he didn't know how to stop hoping. He didn't know how to stop waiting. And he was getting up in years, and so he got to a place where he started to have a singular prayer. It was the one thing he wanted more than anything else. He wanted to live long enough to get to see the Messiah with his own eyes and reach out and touch the Messiah with his own hands. He wanted his hope to be real. And he didn't just want it in the past somewhere Centuries ago, he, he, didn't, he didn't want to say, well, God used to do amazing things, and we believe that God will do amazing things. He wanted that, that shared memory to give him this, this access to a practical, everyday hope that he would experience himself. And God heard that singular prayer, and God said yes. So one day, the Holy Spirit prompts Simeon, and says, I, you need to go to the temple courts. Simeon gets up and he rushes there because he doesn't want to miss it. And that means that he's there when a nervous carpenter named Joseph, along with his young bride Mary, holding their, their eight-day-old baby boy Jesus, they come into the temple courts together to dedicate Jesus to the Lord. Simeon he sees them, and he knows. He knows that this is the moment he's been longing for. This is the moment where God is going to answer his prayer to encounter the beginning of everything changing. 
to encounter this, this living, breathing hope. And, and Tom is going to speak the words of, of the song that Simeon begins to sing when he gets to that, that couple and he gets to Jesus and he takes him in his hands and the only thing he knows to do is worship. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Thank you, Tom. Now, the song that, that Simeon sings, it doesn't take all that long to perform. Right? There's not that many words in, in this moment of worship that Simeon engages in, but the words that he says are filled with hope and peace, with joy and, and adoration for something that he has now seen and experienced with his own eyes and in his own life. And I want you to notice, because Luke keeps doing this in these songs, he points out that these people's faith, it's so strong that they speak about future events as if they have already happened. Right? When you're holding a baby boy who's eight days old and you say, my eyes have seen your salvation... Right? That's not just a statement about what you're experiencing in the present moment. It's a way of declaring how God's future, God's future of blessing and goodness and saving grace really is beginning to happen. It's breaking into the present. It may be only eight days old, the unfolding of that promise, but it is going to happen. Simeon knows it. He knows it as much as he knows anything else in his life. That we're at the very beginning of the story that's going to change everything, but that story is certain. It will take place the way God has promised. And, and Simeon also, in this, this song, he pushes the boundaries beyond the concerns of Israel. And he reminds everybody who's listening that they have a role to play. Right? That Jesus isn't only coming for them. Jesus is coming to help them grow up so that they can become something that they never could on their own. That they could become the blessing of God in the life of the world. This little baby boy, he's salvation not just for Israel, but he's a light to all the nations. He's a light to the Gentiles. He's not just for them. He's for everyone. He's not just for us. He's for everyone. And then after singing, Simeon turns directly to the couple, and he speaks some words to them. And I have to believe they're words that they never forgot. And so let's read those together now in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, 
and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Don't you have to believe that 33 years later, while she's watching her son give his life on a cross, that Mary saw Simeon and she heard these words again? Because he knew what he was talking about. He knew what he, what he was singing about. And, and I want you to focus on these words that this, this child is destined to be assigned. So many of the, the words that, that show up in this story have to do with vision, with seeing and not seeing. With understanding the truth and rejecting the truth. Simeon speaks these words and, and then he falls silent because he's done what he was called to do. He's done what he was, he's been hoping to do. He's, he's sung this song that wells up from the Holy Spirit in his soul. He's spoken these words directly to Mary and to Joseph as he blesses them both, but as he also tells them difficult realities that are waiting for them and for this little eight-day-old Jesus. And, and what he says, especially to Mary, here at the end, at, at some level, it helps us understand where Simeon's heart and mind are because he's seen this kind of stuff before. He's, he's had to have, as a prophet, as somebody who regularly came to the temple courts, he's had to have witnessed hundreds of eight-day-old baby boys be dedicated to the Lord. Right? And, and all babies have the potential to grow up and bless people. All babies have the potential to grow up and challenge people. So when he says this child's destined to, to grow up and there's going to be a rising and a falling of many in Israel, you, you think, okay. I mean, all, all children have the potential to grow up, and as they grow up, they're hurt. And every time they're hurt, it pierces the heart of their mother. Right? Every time a child is hurt, it hurts the people who are raising that child. Sometimes more than it hurts the, the children themselves. Right? All of these things that Simeon are saying at some level could be true of all children. But he wants Mary to understand. He wants all of us to understand as we overhear his words to her. That in some ways Jesus is like every other baby who's ever been born. In other ways he's not like any other baby who's ever been born. Right? He's just like you and me in some ways. In other ways, he's, he's nothing like you and me. He's different. He marks a change in the history of the world. He, he marks a change in everything. He's not just a, a special child, but he's God's special servant. He's the Messiah. And, and whether Simeon understands it or not, Luke understands that he's not just God's special servant, he is God's son. He is God's special way of being present in a world that far too often has forgotten him. Simeon's seen it all before, but he's never seen anyone quite like Jesus. And if we're completely honest, I think we can read stories like this at the beginning of, of any of the Gospels, but especially Luke, because he gives us so many scenes from the very beginning. And, and I think it could be a, a bittersweet experience for us 2,000 years later. Right? I think there's a part of me, at least every time I, I hear or I read this story, that there's a part of me that feels some regret that I wasn't there then. 
right? That I was, I was born thousands of years too late to get to experience it the way Simeon does with my own eyes and to reach out and hold him with my own hands. That, that means that we're, we're all of us at some level having to admit that, that since we didn't get to see Jesus back then, the only way we're really going to see Jesus the way we want to see Jesus is when he comes again. Which is a difficult thing to wrestle with in a journey of faith. Right? Because we don't know when that's going to happen. I mean, Jesus himself says it's going to come like a thief in the night. Which is a poetic way to say, stop trying to predict it. And just wait. But that kind of waiting is hard work. That, that kind of, of wondering wears you down. Right? Long-delayed hope is hope that is hard to hold on to. And what I'm trying to help you understand, what I'm trying to understand myself is, while we can describe historically what it was like for those first century Jews to be waiting and waiting and waiting, and, and then they start to give up, and we think, oh, I would never do that. I, I think we have to be honest with the fact that that most of us struggle to wake up every single day and expect Jesus' second coming this day. right? That most of us, while we want to believe that it's happening, and we would say to somebody who asked us, do you believe in the second coming of Christ? We'd say, absolutely I do. But if they were to push us into a corner and say, do you believe it's going to happen in your lifetime? Well, that, that question's a lot more difficult. It's hard for the church to stand on tiptoe for over 2,000 years. And so we say we're waiting, but we're not sure exactly what we're waiting for. And we're not sure if what we're waiting for is going to happen anytime soon. And what that means, brothers and sisters, is that, that we, we have the same wrestling match with hope that Simeon did that all of those Jews did when Jesus was first born. All of those men and women of Israel who wanted to say they believed that, that the Messiah could come walking down that dusty road at any given moment, and yet they had stopped looking for the Messiah. They had stopped expecting for God to step in and change their lives and change the world. And so instead of living in the light of the hope of the Messiah, they just were living. And, and, and instead of, of thinking that this day could be the day, they just start thinking that every day is like every other day. I think we know that, that wrestling match that we can have in our hearts and our souls in the journey of faith. And, and I, I want us to push past this reality that we would say, well, we believe that God intervened a long time ago and did some amazing things, and we believe that God will intervene in the far-off future and do some amazing things. I want us to face the question, not just about the, hist the history of our faith or the future of our faith, I want to ask us about our faith right here and now. Do we believe that we don't just live an experience that used to be or will be one day, but is now, present in our lives. Because that 
is the reason Luke tells us the story about Simeon. He was able to understand that we can't just have hope in the past and in the future. We have to have hope right now, today, this day. Over and over in the Gospel of Luke, when people talk about being saved, they always say, today. Today, right now, this moment. That's when it's happening. That's when they're experiencing their lives being changed. The present moment, not just the past or the future. And, and I want to talk for a moment about today. And I want to make the claim that today, you and I, like Simeon, have a longing that we don't need to deny. We don't need to pretend we don't have it. And here's the longing. It becomes the singular prayer of the old man's life, right? We long more than anything else to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ that changes not only who we are, but who we believe other people can be. That's what we long for. It's why we get out of bed in the morning. Even if we've for, forgotten, that's why we're, we're still going. That's what we're holding on to as people who are trying to follow in the way of Jesus. We're not just trying to read about him and do the things he did that we read about. We're believing somehow, some way that in following in his footsteps, suddenly we'll realize he's right there beside us. That's what we're holding on to. We're holding on to an encounter with Jesus that changes everything for us today. Right? God's showing up today and, and changing us in challenging ways. God's showing up today and, and rescuing us from the sin that threatens to define who we are and who we think we can be. God's showing up today and saving us by healing what's broken inside us now, not just then, but now. God's showing up today. If you and I, if we really do feel like we missed it because we were born a couple of thousand years too late, Luke wants us to know we're thinking about it all wrong. Right? It's not a matter of timing. It's a matter of believing. It's a matter of believing. You know, I think sometimes in, in our lives, we, we fall into the trap of thinking, okay, I'm... I can believe if I see. Right? I, I'll believe if, if you can prove it to me. That there is a God, that, that God's at work, that you can tell me exactly what God's up to, that you can point out all the places that God is moving. If, if then, if you give me that evidence, then I'll believe. But that's not how seeing God works. Right? Seeing God it doesn't work by trying to prove the existence of God. You see God by learning to trust in the presence of God, that God is here whether we feel it or not, that God is present whether we see it or not, that God is at work whether we understand it or not. It doesn't begin by seeing, it begins by trusting. And it's only after trusting that we start to see what we've longed to see our whole lives long. Simeon sees Jesus for who he is when everybody else in the temple courts that day saw a baby being dedicated. They'd seen it all before. They were going to see it all again. 
You've got Simeon and Luke mentions another prophetess named Anna. They're there together. They see it because they trust that God is present and at work in their world and in their nation when almost everybody else had given up hope. They held on to the hope. And because of their, their trust, because of that hope, they see something that other people miss. I, I don't have any idea of knowing how many other people were in the temple courts that day. People who, if you had asked them, are you still waiting? Are you still hoping? They would have said, yeah, we, we are. You say, are you still looking for God to step into your life and into your world? Yeah, yeah, we are. And yet they walked past Jesus, God in swaddling clothes right there. And they were so close they could reach out and touch him. That's exactly what Simeon did. He reached out and touched his breathing, living hope. And the only reason he was able to do it is because he had a relationship with God where the Holy Spirit said to him, go over to that baby, he's going to change everything. If you want to see God in our world, start by trusting that God is already in our world. It starts there. And as we stand on the threshold of a brand new year, and we think about, as we always do this time of year, those resolutions that we might be able to commit ourselves to at least for 30 days, as all the studies show us, right? Instead of expecting as people of faith that in this new year, we're going to try our hardest to see God at work. I want to see God at work. I want to see Christ break into my present. I want to see, see Christ change who you are. In all, all kinds of amazing and inexplicable ways. I want to experience all of that. But brothers and sisters, we won't experience it if all we're trying to do is see it. We don't start by seeing, we start by trusting. And so may our resolution as a church this year be not just to see God at work, but to start by trusting that God is already present, that God is already calling us, that God is already doing things. And it's not, it's not that we have uh, an absent God, it's that we are blind to the God we have. And the only way our vision is going to be healed is if we rekindle our love for the Lord and we learn to trust him once again. That's who Simeon is. It's it's who we can be. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it can change everything. If only we'll let it. I have seen your salvation. And I can tell that he's going to be a light to the whole world. May we hold on to a a vision that can only come to us on the other side of believing. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our our shepherds and their spouses will be in our lobby. They're there simply uh, to be a place that you can go to pray and talk and visit with a Christian couple. And so if you came this morning with any concerns at all, uh, if you came this morning with something on your heart that you want to pray about and talk about, whatever it is, please go to them as together we stand and sing.